With my voice, I cry out to the Lord. With my voice, I plead for mercy to the Lord. I pour out my complaint before him. I tell my trouble before him. When my spirit faints within me, you know my way. In the path where I walk, they have hidden a trap for me. Look to the right and see, there's no one who takes notice of me. No refuge remains to me. No one cares for my soul. I cry to you, O Lord. I say, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Attend to my cry, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are too strong for me. Bring me out of prison, that I may give thanks to your name. The righteous will surround me, for you will deal, deal bountifully with me. Well, uh, good morning, Covenant. I, um, it's great to be with you today. Your, your senior pastor, Jerry, has been um, a kind friend and a wise counselor to me, and so I'm just honored to be able to share God's Word with you, open up this psalm. I love this psalm, Psalm 142, not because I love sad things, uh, I don't, um, but because um, it, it's an honest reflection from King David in the midst of a very dark uh, and challenging time in his life. And so one of my uh, favorite singer-songwriters is a guy named Gregory Allen Isakov, and uh, in one of his recent albums, he has a song called Dark, Dark, Dark. And in it, he says, there's a line where he says, the, the songs in my pocket just crumble apart. Won't you sing me something for the dark, dark, dark? And I love that line because it's, it's not a matter of if you will go through dark seasons. Uh, it's a matter of when. And when you go through seasons like that, you know, maybe you've experienced this. There's something about, you know, the songs in my pocket just crumble apart. They're not enough. They're not true uh, to where I'm at. Uh, you need a song for the dark. Well, Psalm 142 is a song for the dark, uh, not least of which because it was literally written uh, in a dark place. It was written in a cave. Uh, let me give you a little bit of the backstory here. <clears throat> King David was on the run, okay, from King Saul, uh, who, who wanted to kill him, and David flees uh, Jerusalem, and he, he heads to Philistine territory, um, which not really a great idea. Uh, enemies, right, you get it. And so he, but he goes into Philistine territory, and he ends up in a city called Gath. Now, if Gath sounds familiar to you, you know your Bibles, it's because uh, if you remember the famous story of David fighting the mighty giant, Goliath, that's Goliath's hometown, Gath, is where David goes to flee. So, you know, a little bit dicey, right? Uh, risky, because they know, they know who David is. You know, it's like he killed their town mascot. <laughs> He's recognizable. And so they actually do, somebody does recognize him. And David's like, you know, I don't know, think fast. And he starts acting like kind of a crazy person, uh, like a madman. And they, they end up, you know, letting him go. It's, it always makes me think of that scene in Tommy Boy. Remember when he's pulled over by the police and he jumps out of his car screaming, bees, they're everywhere. Your firearms are useless against them. Uh, David kind of does that. Um, <clears throat> anachronistic, if you like big words, that's what that was. Uh, but David does that in, um, in Gath and they do, they let him go. And so he flees the city and he ends up in this cave, the cave of Adullam. 
And it's in this cave that he writes this psalm. And, you know, you can read about the, the whole narrative in 1 Samuel. Uh, what we have in Psalm 142 is not the narrative, though. We, it's, it's like we have his journal, which is kind of interesting, isn't it? It's like we can peer through the narrative and see what was the experience like for David as he's in the midst of this dark, dark period. Listen to these, some of these words again. Verse 3, my spirit grows faint within me. Have you ever been there? Verse 4, no one is concerned for me. I have no refuge. No one cares for my life. Have you ever felt that way? Verse 6, for I am in desperate need. Verse 7, set me free from this, this prison. You know, have you ever felt imprisoned by your circumstances? need to break free. A note, note in one of my study Bibles says, Psalm 142 is the complaint of someone at the end of his resources. Have you ever been there at the end of your resources, physically, emotionally, spiritually, otherwise? Have you ever been in the cave? Maybe you're there right now. If so... The songs in your pocket, they just crumble apart. What you need is a song for the dark, and that's what this psalm is. So let's talk about Psalm 142. And I want to give you, I think this psalm gives us four steps or four things we can do when we're in a dark season. Four things we can do when we're in a cave. Not to get you out of the cave. Unfortunately, that's not always in our control, is it? Um, Sometimes you're in a cave and... You don't control the timing, how long you're there. But four things you can do when you're in those places, regardless of how you got there, four things you can do when you're in the cave. Um, first, okay, if you're taking notes or, or just listening, number one, don't be surprised. That's the first thing. Don't be shocked. We're shocked. Aren't, we're always shocked, aren't we? Like, how would I end up here? Um, don't be shocked. Don't be surprised. Who wrote this psalm? David. The Bible called him a man after God's own heart. The Bible has not said that about me. Uh, actually, I'm not in there. I'm not in that, that book <laughs> at all, right? Um, he, he was a ki- you know, king anointed uh, by God, you know, the, slayed the giant. I mean, that's the guy who finds himself in the cave of despair, loneliness, fear, desperation. So what does that tell us? It tells us that anybody, anybody can do time in the cave. Anybody can do time in the cave. Uh, We're not promised a cave-free existence. In fact, almost kind of the opposite. You know, uh, in the scriptures, the, the closer one is connected to God and his story, the more likely it is they're going to spend some time in the cave. Abraham, Jacob, Joseph, are you kidding me, right? Um, Moses, Joshua, Ruth, Samuel, kind of up to this, but David, all right? A few characters in the New Testament, one most notably very, very close to God. Um, Spent a lot of time in a very, very dark place. Fact of the matter is, cave things happen to good people. Cave things happen. Caves are part of this life. 
Here's the Apostle Peter on this subject. Beloved, do not be surprised. Don't be shocked at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Cave things happen. It doesn't mean God's punishing you. It doesn't mean that your, your actions directly correspond to the fact that you're in that cave, necessarily. Cave things happen. Caves are a part of this life. And so that's the first thing to remember. When you're in the cave, or if you're in one now, don't be surprised. This is a world, a broken world of caves, but under the authority of a God who knows what to do with them. Right? So let's go to number two. First, don't be surprised. Uh, for the engineers here, if you're like calculating how many minutes point one took, it's, it doesn't correlate. Don't think this isn't a 15 minute sermon, slightly longer. Number two, um, <clears throat> you know, when you do a sermon about a psalm like this, you got to just interject some little comedy moments. That's what I'm, that's what I'm going for to give you a little relaxation. Um, but two, and this one, this really is serious here, okay? I mean, don't be surprised. But number two, what you need to remember is to not hold back. Don't hold back. If you haven't spent much time in the Psalms, you really should. Because you know what the book of Psalms is? You might say, it's a book of raw emotions poured out at God's feet. Uh, you know, nearly two-thirds of the whole book of Psalms are what we call laments. They are, they are crying out. They are groanings. They are complaints laid at the feet of God, okay? And they are psalms that encourage us who are going through hard things to do the same thing. I mean, the psalmists, they are incredibly honest, aren't they? I mean, almost to a point where we're uncomfortable with it. You ever find yourself apologizing for a verse in the song? God, he, he didn't mean that. Like, he, you know, he was in a real tough, you know, season. Uh, they make us uncomfortable. They're so honest, the Psalms are. I mean, have you ever read? The, the fact is, some Psalms say things we don't think is okay to say to God. Have you ever read Psalm 88? Have you ever read Psalm 39? Not much in there that like, um, you know, could probably be turned into a song by Paxson and, and led in, in worship here. But, you know, it's, uh, it'd, be a, it'd be a somber morning, right? Psalm 88, this is the last line in Psalm 88. The last line. The darkness is my closest friend. The end. Psalm 39, last line of Psalm 39. Look away from me. Who's he talking to? God, look away from me that I may smile again before I depart and am no more. The end. What are those Psalms doing in the Bible? I'll tell you what they're doing. They're inviting you and they're inviting me to be honest about what we're going through, about everything in our hearts and our emotions and our stories, all of our trials and bring them to the God who cares. And he can handle our honesty. He can handle our honesty. You know, I've had several conversations over the years with uh, Christians who are in a cave. They're in a dark season. They're in a trial. And, uh, and, and it's, it's painful for them. And I'll, I'll ask them, have you prayed your emotions to God? And they'll look at me and say, well, what do you mean? And I'll say, 
Well, have you told God in prayer how angry you are at him? And they'll go, what? No, no, I can't do that. And I'll say, well, you're already doing it. You're just doing it behind his back. <laughs> like, take it to him, to his face. You know, there's actually an interesting distinction in the Bible. I, th- I, I think it was Trimper Longman who, who, I, who I learned this from. This is an, I didn't find this, but really interesting distinction in the Bible between grumbling and groaning. You look for it, you'll find it. Grumbling is complaining, we may even say lamenting, behind God's back or with other people, but not to God. And it always dishonors him. He always has something to say about it. Groaning, on the other hand, is complaining to his face. And he always invites it. He's honored by it. Look at what, uh, it's, uh, look at what David says in verse 2 of, of our psalm today. I pour out my complaint before him. This is groaning. This is not holding back. See, the Psalms teach us when you're in the cave, don't hold back. All your emotions, all your thoughts, your doubts, your feelings, and you take it to him. Dare I say, well, I can, I'm a visitor. Because uh, if you're cursing in your head, you know, profanity, bring it into your actual prayer. Be honest with God about how you're feeling. The way you talk, let him hear from your heart where you're at. Psalms teach us, take it all to him. Here is a beautiful, beautiful promise, wonderful secret that you will hear. The only place you will hear what I'm about to say is in a church that worships the risen Christ. Any other religion, any other worldview, you won't hear it in secular society, He gets it. When you go to him and you unload, you're praying to a God who gets it. Christ, the God-man, suffers too, as Albert Camus once wrote. Christ, the God-man, knows the full extent, the, the whole gamut of human suffering. In in its most deepest, darkest places. And so when you go to Jesus, you're going to somebody who is intimately acquainted with the depth of your feeling, with the range of your experience. He's the only one who knows exactly how you feel. So why hold back with him? Don't hold back. So don't be surprised when you're in the cave. Don't be surprised, don't hold back. Number two, Don't waste it. Don't waste it. The question isn't, will you spend time in the cave? The question is, will you allow the cave to spend some good quality time on you? Will you let the cave spend time on you? Will you let God use what you're going through to actually work out a shaping, a a crafting, an ingrafting to his story a change, a transformation in your life. Because you can, you can certainly let the cave change you in the other direction. You can let the cave harden you. You can let the cave push you farther and farther away from him. Or you can allow God to use it in a way like David did that draws you in closer to him, closer and closer, even deeper and deeper connection with him. Uh, the, you can choose to see the cave as God's appointed classroom for your growth. 
Now, maybe you're asking, you're wondering, you know, well, so what am I supposed to learn? Well, it depends, right? And, and, and oftentimes, uh, we look back on caves and go, this is what I learned. And it's harder to articulate it when you're in the middle of it, okay? But I think safe to say, in general, there are at least two things every cave is supposed to teach us. And, and we see them in this psalm. And the first, the first thing that the cave should teach us and that God wants to teach us is that we have to look to him. We have to look to him. Now, here's what I mean by this. Instead of all of the stuff we've been replacing him with, we've got to turn our eyes to him instead of the things that we've been turning our, setting our eyes on. From the cave, David says, I have no refuge. No one cares for my life. I cry to you, O Lord. I say, you are my refuge. And if you've read a lot of the Psalms, you know that word refuge is usually right side by side another word. It's not here, but in many places, in many places David writes, that word refuge is side by side with another word, which is rock. That's the picture is it's this, dare I say, cave of protection, cave of safety and security. You know, David's saying, in my cave of despair, be my cave of, of goodness and love and grace and protection. He's saying, in, in this cave of, of uh, where, where I, the world is throwing things at me and I don't know what to do and all my circumstances are all over the place, would you be the cave that encloses my heart? Hold on to me. Be my refuge. Be my place of safety. See, it took the cave of despair to teach David there's only one cave of refuge. There's only one. And so we have to ask ourselves, especially in the cave, we should ask ourselves this question regularly anyway, but especially in the cave, we have to ask ourselves, what have I been deeming refuge worthy that is not? What have I been looking to and seeking and believing that's the rock of security that, that enshrouds me and that protects me? Because blessed is the day when whatever that is is stripped away so that we can see we only have one true rock of security and protection and refuge. And the cave tends to teach us that, if we'll let it. There's a, I heard a great preacher years ago, he told this story of a, <clears throat> a lumberjack. Lumberjack's walking through the forest, he's about to knock down you know, some trees, and um, these big pines, and he comes, he's about to fell this, this enormous tree, and he looks up and he sees at the top of the tree, a mother bird is making her nest in the tree. And he doesn't want to hurt the bird. And so he, so he turns his axe around and with the blunt end of his axe, he just starts hitting the tree to rattle it so that the bird will get up, fly out and leave that tree. Only problem is the bird flies to another tree. <laughs> so he goes to the other tree and thwack, thwack, you know, and then again and again and again it happens until finally the bird flies out of the forest and flies up onto, you know, a rocky cliff uh, to, to build her nest and safety. Now, I want you to imagine for a second what was going on in the head of that bird. <laughs> Who's this maniac? 
and messing with me. What do we say? We say, I go to church, I write checks, I read my Bible. Why are you messing with my life? Why are you messing with me? The reality is, folks, all the trees are coming down. Wherever you're building your refuge, your nest of security, your foundation, eventually it's coming down if it's not him, if it's not the rock, if it's not our true rock of refuge. So we have to look to him. He wants to teach us. The cave wants to teach us. Look to him, not the sorry substitute. Second thing the cave wants to teach us. We must look to others. We have to look to other people. David prays for rescue, and then look at how he envisions God answering his prayer. Verse 7, he says, Then the righteous, they will gather about me. What, so what's David? one of the things David is praying for is community, because we need it. We need community in the cave. And that's exactly what God sends him. 1 Samuel 22 tells us how he answers this prayer. Check this out. 1 Samuel 22, verse 2. And everyone who was in distress, and everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was bitter in soul gathered to David, and he became commander over them. And there were with him about 400 men. Can you imagine... <laughs> The answer to David's prayer. You just, imagine yourself. You just prayed for God to send you some righteous people to help you out. Now, I don't know how big this cave was. I'm a, probably about like a 20-person max in a cave with me, okay? I mean, I, you know, I don't spend a lot of time in physical ones, but David prays for some righteous men to help him out. God sends him, how many again? 400 distressed <laughs> Why does it even tell us they were in debt? Like, I mean, the, what does God send them? He sends them 400, it's 400 people who are just a mess. And David must have been wondering, what use is 400 messy people gathered around a rival king? How many people are in here? Wait, does that sound familiar? 400 messy people, a bunch of messy people gathered around a rival king. That's what you are. That's what we are. The church. The church. A messy community gathered around a rival king. David wanted people with answers. God gave him people with problems. And the same is true for you in your cave. You want solutions. God's saying, community. Get in there. Call those people. Lean on them. Call them, by the way, call, you know, this, I, do a lot of, I do a lot of counseling, so now I feel like I should say this since I just said that. Call them without the expectation that, they are, that Jesus is going to answer the other phone. Okay, these are other broken people. They don't say the right things all the time. Okay, it doesn't discount them from being able somebody to lean on. But I think that's one of the lessons of the cave. Lean on somebody. You might need to call somebody specifically today or when you're in a cave and say, I'm in the cave. Um, if they were here, they'll know what that means. If not, give them an explanation on the metaphor. Um, but that I, I need you, you know, I need you here with me. I need you to help me um, because we don't get out of the cave alone. We just don't. We don't get out of the cave alone. 
You need someone to tell about your cave. God says so. So don't be surprised. Don't hold back. Don't waste it. Here's number four. In all of this, please, 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 don't forget who you're dealing with. Don't forget who you're dealing with. Look Look at how David ends this prayer. He says in verse seven, set me free from my prison that I may praise your name. Then the righteous will gather about me because of your goodness to me. He ends with an affirmation of God's goodness. See, as he writes this, you got to understand, right? Put yourself there again, or use the metaphor we're using right now. You're in the cave, okay, right now. Can you see how it's all going to unfold? Can you see your way out? We know what happens in David's life going for. He doesn't, okay? Let alone does he know the unfolding of redemptive history, okay? But he says, God, your goodness. You see, he clings to, rather than what we do, we let our circumstances define us. David says, the character of God is what is going to define me here. That's what I'm clinging to, is his goodness even when I can't see beyond this cave that I'm in. I know that you're good. I know you're good, and that's what I'm going to cling to, and that's what I'm going to believe. You say, well, how could David have that kind of confidence? How could David have that kind of confidence that God was so good that even this, he would bring him out of it some way, somehow? How could he have that kind of confidence? Because he knew the story, remember? Because of what God did. And even here, David gives us a clue to this when he prays, set me free from my prison that I may praise your name. If that sounds familiar to you, it's because that was like the, the refrain of the whole story of Israel being freed from Egypt. Why? They were imprisoned in Egypt, right? They're in the cave of slavery and God rescues them out for what purpose? To worship him, to praise his name. See, if somebody had asked an Israelite in David's time, well, how do you know that God's good? I mean, how do you really know? They would have said, because of what he did. Because of what he did. He rescued us. He's a rescuer. His love and his grace always wins out, somehow, some way. <clears throat> David clinged to the goodness of God. He didn't forget who he was. And you mustn't either. When you're in the cave, don't forget who you're dealing with. Don't forget the character of your God. Because you know what you could say? If somebody said, how do you know he's good? Because of what he did. Because God and his grace and love for us entered into the very story we find ourselves in himself. In the person of Jesus. And he experienced the full range of our suffering. And he went to that cross And he died. And they laid his body in, well, in a cave. Covered it with a stone. But three days later, that stone rolled away and he walked out and resurrected new life. Which reminds us, by the way, that we won't be in those tombs or those caves forever either. All the stones will be rolled away. That's what we cling to. That's what we know, even in the cave. 
There's a, <clears throat> you know those little like letter board signs where you, you kind of put up your own letters and make a sign. So one in my house says, uh, the moon is always round. I don't know if you know that story, but um, there's a couple of them. But the most recent one, it comes from a, a children's book by a guy named Jonathan Gibson. He wrote it a couple years ago by that title, The Moon is Always Round. And the, the um, catalyst for him beginning to work on that book was a little liturgy, a little catechism. You know, catechism, a question and answer. Um, of course you do. Or we're in a PCA church, right? Um, and uh, I see people nod, and I'm like, stop nodding. Be a normal person. You shouldn't know what that is. No. We, we, so catechism, right? He's, he's with his son. He's doing this catechism every night, this liturgy, and this is how it went. He'd say, he'd say Benjamin, um, uh, what's the shape of the moon tonight? Benjamin would look out the window and he'd go, you know, crescent moon, half moon, whatever it was. And then Jonathan would say to his son, Benjamin, what is the shape of the moon always? And Ben would say, the moon is always round. And he'd say, and, what does the, and Jonathan would say, what does that mean? And Benjamin would say, that God is always good. That God is always good. What he didn't know is only a few months into this practice, this catechism would become even more important to their family. Um, see, his wife gave birth to a stillborn child named Leela. And, I mean, you can imagine the devastation, the tragedy, um, the darkness, the cave. And one night that week, um, uh, Jonathan's riding in the car with his son, Benjamin, and Benjamin says, Daddy... From the back seat, he says, Daddy, will mommy ever have a baby that wakes up? Jonathan says, I don't, I don't know, Benjamin, I don't know. And Benjamin says, why didn't Layla come home with us? Jonathan says, well, Jesus called her home, and, and she went home to be with him. And Benjamin said, yeah, but, but why? Why didn't she come home with us? To which Jonathan said, I don't know. And then as driving along and as he's fighting back the tears, he remembered this little catechism. He said, Benjamin, what, what's the shape of the moon tonight? And Benjamin looked out the window and he said, you know, it's a, Half moon, Jonathan said, what is the shape of the moon always? Benjamin said, the moon is always round. And he said, what does that mean? And he said that God is always good. From the cave, we can't always see it. We can't see the shape of God's story and the shape of his love. But he has given us one picture that is completely unobstructed, that is totally clear, that is out there for us to see and to know and to always trust. And it's that the shape of his love is in the shape of a cross. And we can see that shape even when we're in the darkest of caves. So if you are, if you're in one of those places or a place like that, hold on till morning. Hold on till morning, because there will be one. Hold on till morning, trusting in 
the one source of all grace and love that you have, trusting in the true foundation, your true refuge, your true cave. Will you do that for me? (laughs) For him? Let's pray. Holy Spirit, would you um, minister to the hearts of every man, woman, child in this room? Um, Lord, you know where each person resides in their story. You know what they're going through. Those especially who are in a a, a hard, hard place, uh, would they know that in the cave one dwells with them? Your promise of your presence is such a beautiful and powerful thing. You you do not leave us. You don't leave our side. And Lord, just to know that as we feel everything falling in on us, caving in on us, we are protected in another cave, the cave of your grace, the cave of your providence, the cave of of who you are as our true refuge. And I pray that we would believe that today. pray we'd believe it in the name of Christ and because of the name and story of Christ, our Messiah, uh, the one who loves us and doesn't quit. And uh, we pray all these things in his name. Amen.